Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. And uh, we're here with Sarah Rosette. Actually, is that how you say your last name? Yes, that's perfect. Awesome. USA Today, be- USA Today bestselling author of Lighthearted Mysteries, uh, co-host of the w- Wish I'd Known Then podcast for writers, which I was on. That was a lot of fun. And author of How to Write a Series, A Guide to Series Types and Structure, plus troubleshooting tips and marketing tactics. And we're going to be asking Sarah a bunch of questions today about series, how to market them, um, how to write them, different types of series, things like that. So um, welcome, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's good to have you here and good seeing you again. And you look cute, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's most important, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Um, Okay. So my first question for you is what got you into writing and also indie publishing? Okay. Well, um, I've always loved to read and I've always loved mysteries. And, you know, that was like the dream job for me to grow up and be a writer. And so I always had lots of ideas. I had lots of starts for stories, but I never could figure out how to finish a story. I had great beginnings, but no middle, no end, no plot, basically. So I did all these other like writing related jobs and eventually got married, had kids. And my husband said, I think it's time for one of us to go back and get a degree to get a master's. So, you know, we can advance in our careers and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That's like the last thing in the world I want to do is go get a master's degree. So, and that like, for me was like, if I'm going to take time away, we had little kids. And I was like, if I'm going to take time away from the kids and running this household, I want to write. And he said, okay, go for it. And I was like, great, you're going back to school. And he didn't either. But, um, so it took me about five years to write, polish, edit a book. And this was back, you know, pre self-publishing days. And so I ended up finding an agent. She sold it. And that book came out in 2006. And so I had like 10 books and it was a cozy mystery series. And I got 10 books published in that series. But as that series was coming out, indie publishing became a thing. And I started hearing about people who were doing really well. And if you're a mid-list, traditionally published author, you just don't make very much money. And I started hearing about people doing really well and they had control of their content. And I was like, this sounds awesome. So I checked it out and I, I had no books. So I had to start over and like write some books just that I owned. And that's what I did. So now I have three indie series that I published, two cozies and a historical mysteries like my new one. And um, I don't write the traditionally published series anymore. So, so it's a dream come true. <laughs> Before we jump into the nitty gritty of what, a, what types of series there are and marketing and all that, could you tell us which of your own series has been most successful and maybe what you attribute that to? Sure. Um, well, I did the, the cozy sold, sold well, but in 2018, I decided I wanted to write a historical mystery. And that series has just done better for me than anything else. And that's kind of taken me to the next level in my writing career. And I think part of it is I had an established fan base in Cozy Mystery, but historical mystery is sort of cozy adjacent. So there were some people that followed me over, but then there was like this whole new group of people that hadn't heard of me and hadn't read my books. So it opened up like this whole new... um like group of readers who didn't know me. And then at the same time, I also went into audio and I've got all my books, all my backlist in audio now. So now I have like people who are in a new genre who have found me and people who are in a new format 
have found me. So I think that's just really made the difference. And I mean, maybe it's because it's, you know, my, like I've been writing for a while, so I feel like my craft has gotten better, but I think that it was branching out into a new series. And it's very kind of ironic because everybody, there's like a saying, like stay in your lane, like keep doing what you're doing. And for me, it was like kind of going to one lane over (laughs) that was helpful. That's really awesome. A lot of the times, I mean, yeah, that, that's the advice a lot of people give is don't, don't switch around. But I mean, sometimes if it's going to be more successful for you and readers respond better. And like you said, you're a better author. And do you think if you went back to the previous genre that it would, I mean, it would go well? I mean, yeah, I think so. And I probably will go back to Cozy's. I mean, I have readers asking for that and I probably will go back, but right now the historicals are doing well. So I'm going to focus on that. But, um, I think there's something too about being new. Like as a reader, I love new authors. I love new books. And if a whole group of people sees you and they don't know anything about you and they like what they see, a lot of them, the hardcore mystery readers are going to go find all your books. And so that just kind of multiplies. So I think that's the lure of the new is, you know, helpful, but then I'm not leaving cozies because they're a lot of fun. (laughs) I love cozy mysteries. Um, I think like, half of our listeners are probably quietly crying inside because they're no longer <laughs> new authors. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, are there any reasons why an author should or might want to write just standalone books? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think probably it depends on what you love. I mean, I love as a reader, I love series. So that's kind of what I'm drawn to, but there's plenty of reasons. I mean, standalones have some great benefits because like as a reader, if I see a series that has 10, 15 books and book, you know, 15 has come out. That's like a big commitment because I'm a completist. So I'm going to go back to the beginning and read all the way through. So I don't think people will pick you up. will pick up your book 15 or book 12. Whereas if you have a standalone, they might go, Oh yeah, I'll try it. So there's, um, I think there's less friction maybe if you have a standalone and then standalones, you can link standalones together sometimes by theme. So you can still write them, but you could market them together. So I think they have a lot of benefits. And where does Bella Forrest, man, that chick with her hundred thousand, you know, books in one series. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what, how she does it, but (laughs) all right, I'm going to hand you off back off to Lindsay now. Okay. So for people who are maybe not sure what kind of series they're writing or should be writing. Could you talk about the different types of series there are and maybe like genre expectations if some genres <laughs> expect certain things over others? Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that I didn't understand when I first started writing. And I think that was one reason I wanted to write this book is because once I figured out what I was writing and what my readers wanted, it was so much easier to figure out how to structure my series. So I feel like, and this is just how over time, I've kind of organized the books in my mind. So I hope it's helpful. If not, just, you know, trash it and go on and figure out your your system. But um, I feel like there's the multi-protagonist series, which is usually like um, linked standalone books, like very common in romance. So you've got individual either, it could be an ensemble cast too, where you have alternating books, you know, with a point of view from different main characters, but usually it's romance. And it's like each book focuses on a couple and they may appear later on in the other books in the series, but it's just, you know, a quick check-in or 
you can kind of see how they progress. But the, the other books focus on other couples and usually they're linked somehow by theme, setting, relationship. You know, it's very common, like, you know, here's six brothers and these are all their stories, but they're all individual stories. You can read them in any order, but they have some overlapping characters, same characters. So that's really common in romance. And then um, I feel like, so there's like the multi-protagonist series. And then I feel like there's this single protagonist type series. And I think that could work in any genre. And then underneath the single protagonist, you have either your flat arc character, which is mostly what I write, very common in mystery, which is the character, the main character doesn't have a huge, robust character arc. They pretty much don't change. So like Jack Reacher, Hercule Poirot, Miss Marple, James Bond, even like Mary Poppins, they come in, they influence the story world. And then often it's the characters around that protagonist that changed or the protagonist being in that world changes things. And so there's not a lot of character growth, like dramatic character growth in that type of series. And then there's the uh, robust character arc. So you've got like Harry Potter or Percy Jackson, where there's a big definite change and very common, like in YA science fiction and fantasy mystery and thriller too, as well, if you want to do that. But this one, I feel like that, the character arc usually has a definite endpoint. So like, you know, once, you know, Harry Potter has come into his own and defeated Voldemort, you know, then that story is kind of over. So I feel like there's, those are the main types. And the listening to the science fiction and fantasy podcast, y'all's old podcast, was what one thing that got me thinking about this because y'all used to talk about, well, that's a six book series and that's a five book series and I'm done. And as a mystery writer, I was like, wow, that's so weird because mystery series are often open-ended and can go on, you know, for so long. So that was like something for me that I was like, oh, this is a key difference that genre expectations make a difference because mystery readers do sort of expect the series to go almost endlessly. So I don't know, it's just very different. Uh, Different genres have different expectations. So that's kind of how I break it down in my mind. It's kind of interesting because if I was going to write Cozy Mysteries or something where, and I'm kind of doing this with my urban fantasy series where each one is a complete story. So technically you could start with book four, but I always like, I've learned that the read through is so much better when there's ongoing stuff to pull the people Mm -hmm. along a mystery or something. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know if you would suggest people do that even with the standalones or if you have any thoughts on that, uh, like what people expect. What works today? We'll talk more about marketing, marketing in a minute, but uh, I don't know, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that that's been one thing that's really worked well for me. Even though I'm writing more of these episodic type series, if I can just have one little thread that pulls throughout the series, people will read on and it's like they're interested in the romantic subplot or the mystery. Y'all just had a podcast where you talked a lot about opening scenes and you know, if there's just a little bit of mystery that will keep people reading. And if there's just a little bit of mystery at the end of your book, even if it's a standalone, you can kind of move people onto another book. And this this is probably a question that there's, (laughs) there's like a lot of answers to, or a loaded question, if you will. But is there any one like secret to success that you found that really keeps readers going or just draws them in and you've got them for life with the series? Uh, well, I think 
That is a loaded question. <laughs> um, for me, what has worked really well is just having like these little, I call, I think of them as read through hooks where like I'll have just a little mention of what the next story is going to be about, hint of what's coming up in the next book. So that's worked well because people, it just gives them a taste of the next story. And if they're into those characters, they're in for the next book. And then, um, a romantic subplot that's worked really well. I've had more readers are interested in the, relationships between the characters, I think sometimes than the plot, you know, they're then like the mystery plot. They want to know what's going to happen. Will they or won't they? And I think that's a huge draw for readers. And then of course the question becomes like, how do you keep them apart? And then if you get them together, you know, how are you going to deal with that so that it's not boring afterwards? So that, that has its own issues. It's funny how often, like, uh, long-running series, it will really be like, well, the plot is just what's happening while we're waiting for these two to sort of sort out their <laughs> situation. But, uh, uh, all right, so a question I have is, uh, if you have a particularly long-running series, especially if it's a particularly long-running series that does have character development, uh, how do you keep straight the information? Like, how do you how do you just keep track of all of the canon so that you don't contradict yourself or repeat yourself? Right. Yeah, this was something that I didn't do with my first series that ended up being 10 books. And I really wished I had. I wished I kept better track. So I think it depends on what kind of person you are. Like if you love spreadsheets, maybe you create a spreadsheet with information about, you know, characters' eye color and what kind of car they drive and all that. Um, other people, you can hire that out. You can hire people to create a story Bible for you. And there's some VAs that do it. Not, It's not very expensive, really, considering how much time it could save you. Um, I know authors that they just go back and re they reread all the books before they write a new book in their series, which to me, that seems like overwhelming. I wouldn't want to do that, but you could do that. And then um, like that series that I had that I didn't have the spreadsheet or any information really except what was in my head. I used to just go back and I would search and I'd think, okay, I remember I mentioned her car in this scene and I would use control F and just find the scene, you know, is time consuming, but less than reading the whole book. So yeah, I think you do have to keep track of that and it is challenging. Lately, I've been using Trello. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that. It's just a online free thing that you can use to organize pretty much anything, but you can add pictures. So what I've been doing is like, I'll have like a list. You can create a list and I drop in pictures of like what inspires me for a character. And you can put in, you know, a little snippet about what they look like or, you know, I have one like for locations, like different buildings and what they look like. So that helps me because then I can just open that up and go right to that and go, oh yeah, that's, you know, he has, you know, brown hair or whatever. You talked a little bit about characters already, but for people who maybe are going to do 10 or 15 <laughs> books, do you have any suggestions on dealing with character growth and kind of keeping characters fresh over a series, especially those types that <laughs> seem to not change much between books? Yeah. Yeah, that's a challenge. And that was something that I didn't know how to handle when I first started out. So what I did because I was writing more of a flat art character was I gave her like little small challenges in each book. And so it was like little mini arcs in each book. Like, you know, in one book, she just wanted to go on vacation and like all these things kept happening to prevent her from leaving to go on vacation. So like at the end, you just get the, oh, she can finally, she solved the crimes, you know, everything's fine. Now they can leave. So there's like little tiny things like that. But then you can also do um, like, um, 
maybe three book arcs or two book arcs to kind of give you a sense of growth and momentum throughout the series. And so I've been using that more lately. I've done like my historical series. I have like the first three books. The person kind of stumbles into sleuthing and she realizes she's really good at solving these crimes and like she's good at this detective thing. And then like the next three books, she's kind of getting established. She's basically creating a business. And then people are coming, like people are recommending her. Friends are saying, oh, you should go talk to Olive. She can help you. And then like in the next three books, she'll be set up and she will have a business and then strangers will come to her. So it's like a, like an entrepreneurial growth arc, you know? So I think if you can figure out some way to, you know, kind of move them slowly through things like that, it can give you that sense that your character is growing and changing, even if it's not like a huge, um, like the hero's journey growth arc, you know, that's what I used to read about when I would read about, you know, series and stories. And I was like, but that doesn't really work for me. But I think you can take elements of that and sprinkle it throughout your series to keep your, to give your series that feeling. Now, uh, beyond the genre of the series, uh, what are, there are some basic series patterns that you talk about in the book. You mentioned things like duets and trilogies and linked trilogies. Uh, could you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about patterns like that and like when they would be useful? Yeah. Yeah. I think duets are most popular in romance and that's just like two books. And I think that works well if you don't have like this huge, long epic story to tell, you know, maybe your, maybe your story can be propelled for two books and that's, you pretty much said everything there is to say. So I've only really seen that in romance. I don't know if other genres do that or not, but that's where I've seen it done. And then a trilogy, I think that's, you know, the most common that, you know, that's, that's the one that, that as readers, I think we're most familiar with. You've got, and if there's something satisfying about beginning, middle and end, and you can kind of structure your books that way. Um, and it has a definite endpoint. but then like I was talking about like the linked trilogy, like that's how I'm starting to think of mine. Like I'll do three books and then kind of wrap up that little mini arc. And then if the books are doing well, I can keep going with another one. So that gives me some flexibility in planning. And then if it doesn't go well, I've got, I don't have like 16,000 thread plot threads open that I have to wrap up, you know, in book four or something. So I think that they each have, um, you know, positives that you can really use well. And you may plan on, like I planned on a trilogy for one of my series and I was like, that's it. Three books. It was right after I'd written 10 books. I was like, three books, trilogy, I'm done. And so I wrote those three books and then readers wanted another book. And I was like, okay, that story arc is pretty much done. I can see how to extend it for one book and I'll do that and I'll be done. But then the series kind of took a turn and it was like the first three books were like a quest. Could she find out what had happened to her ex-husband who had disappeared? And so they answer all those questions. And I was like, that story is over. But at the end of book four, they I had this character come in and that plot line was about um, missing art. And so the person, she helps solve that case. And the person who was involved in that was like, well, would you like to come to work for me as a consultant as for in art recovery? And so I was, I literally got to the end of that book and I was like, oh, this series can go on and I can write about that. So then that kind of turned into, can she, you know, succeed in this new field? So sometimes you can, extend it 
if you want, but you have to find a reason, a logical reason to extend it. You, I think, I don't think it's good to keep going back over the same type of arc again and again. Yeah, really good points. Um, um, so we have people in our Facebook group ask, like they'll write a book and ends up being really, really huge and they're not sure what to do with it. And, um, members will frequently recommend them divide it, the book in half or into thirds, turn it into a series. Um, when would this work and how should authors, how could authors do it successfully? Well, I wouldn't recommend it for mystery because if, if you don't say, you know, who done it, it's just not going to work. You want, you want each book to be complete and satisfying. And that's the trick to a series is like you have each book is such a good experience that the reader wants to go on and read more, but there's just enough sort of hints that you want to go on and find out what else happens. Not everything is wrapped up. You have a couple of threads. So if you can do that, if you have a really long book and you can do that and kind of break it up, then that could work really well. But I think you'd have to be really careful if you have a really long book and you just chop it up that could, as long as it's a good reading experience, then that's okay. And, you know, as long as readers are happy, that's great. But I would be hesitant to do it if you don't have, um, if you, if it's not, if readers aren't going to enjoy it, then I wouldn't do it. I would be very careful. Right. It seems like mystery and romance in particular, they really want the resolution at the end. Mm-hmm. Like my favorite uh, mystery TV series way back was Monk. And um, it was like a complete mystery each episode, which is what you would expect. Right. But then you had him searching for his wife's murderer. So there was a reason to keep coming back season after season. So mm-hmm. that seems like a better way to have unresolved stuff. Yes, I think so. And there's, I've, I've noticed that, that if you even have some sort of mystery or just something that's not explored, a backstory of one character, People, and that goes throughout your series, people will be into that just because it's not closed off. They're like, well, what about that character? You said he was mysteriously leaving town and wouldn't tell anybody what he was doing. What's going on with him? You know, that kind of compels keep people to keep going. So you can have the episodic um, type series and then have the big overarching question, you know, that, but the thing with that is you have to have a really good payoff. If you've propelled this question for, three, six, nine, 12 books. And then you get to the end and the payoff isn't worth it. Like it's very disappointing. I just read a series where I was like, Oh, that was the payoff after four books. Oh, it's just not good. I feel like there've been a lot of TV shows like that because the writers don't necessarily know when they're, they're opening all these loops Mm -hmm. in the first season, like, Oh, this would be fun. This would be fun, but they haven't figured out how it ends yet. So, Mm -hmm. So cliffhangers can be a divisive topic. Uh, readers hate them. Authors love them. Or, you know, we've definitely seen that uh, it tends to really help with read-through and people are really excited to read the next book. For those of us who are doing a series that does span eight books and it is a complete thing, do you have any thoughts on how hard of cliffhangers to do, whether to do them or not, or just <laughs> just to experiment? Yeah, I think experimenting is probably the best because um i i know that like i would never do a cliffhanger where they don't find out who who done it that would be horrible (laughs) make readers not happy but if i think that readers don't like cliffhangers but they do work and 
I think if you have either the next book like on pre-order or it's out, you know, in a short amount of time, I think you can do a cliffhanger. Um, I think the thing is that makes people, that makes readers upset is if there's a cliffhanger and there's no evidence that there's another book coming like for a year or two, that's when they start getting a little upset. And I think that if you can have something on pre-order or you can say, well, I'm working on it, it'll be done in six months, you know, that can go a long way towards making them not be angry at you. (laughs) All right. Now we talked a little bit about this, but I'd like to talk a little bit more if we can. Uh, What would you say is the ideal length of a series? Like I should say, what happens, let's say you plan out a series and it's going to be eight books and then it falls flat halfway through its run, or maybe you get to book eight and there is still like a rip roar in demand for it. (laughs) How do you handle both of those contingencies? Okay. Well, I think that, I don't know that there's an ideal length for a series. I think it depends on, you know, each person and and the stories and what they envision. Um, for me, six to seven books seems to be kind of about where I normally fall. Um, I think if I was going along and it wasn't doing well at the three book point, I would try and wrap it up. And that can be challenging because it depends on how many threads you open. So it might be smarter when you're thinking about your book to say, okay, I'm going to open up these four subplots in books one through three. And I, I would like to write these others, but I'll hold off on those. And if the series does well, I can bring those in in book three and four. And, you know, that way you haven't given yourself like a ton of too many things to wrap up. Um, you just have to make sure that you don't have, you know, a thousand subplots open. And then if there's like, if you've uh, got a series going and the readers just love it, um, you, and you've kind of, if you've kind of completed your arc and you want to go on, you just have to figure out a new path that they could take. So like, there's all kinds of things. Like if you start thinking about like when people's lives change, like maybe they get divorced, maybe they get married or remarried, maybe they move somewhere new, although that can be tricky because if you have, if your readers really like, like if your readers like a small town series, I wouldn't move them to the city for something new because then you're taking away all those things that are part of the things they loved about the series. Um, it can, you know, it can be risky to try something new, but it's, I think it would be better to launch a new arc rather than retreading the old just to keep going because then readers won't really enjoy that because they've already been through that experience. And then um, just keep the, like the secondary characters that maybe that's what people are interested in. They want the main character, but then they want to see the other secondary characters, keep those involved um, and then see if you can come up with a new theme or something to kind of take them, take the story in a new direction. And, um, and then you can start opening all those tantalizing subplots that maybe you didn't play with before man yeah um half the fun of being an author is all of those subplots you know it's like (laughs) so much more rewarding to be able to have those in so yeah it's hard to you know be like let's simplify this you know but it is yeah and i always start out with more like my vision is big and it's hard to narrow it down and stay focused so yeah Um, But piggybacking off of Joe's question, direct feedback from readers can be misleading, especially when the ones who reach out to you are your super fans. And so it's like, they're like, I love this series. It's amazing. Um, But 
And then also, you know, hearing from people who don't like your books. Um, how do authors know what constitutes high demand? Okay, so this is so, so true. And this is something that I didn't understand when I first started reading because I would get emails and I think, oh, the readers want more. But really, in reality, how many emails was it? Five, 10, maybe, you know, that's not really representative. But sometimes those people who love a series are so passionate, you think, oh, there must be. Usually, you know, like there's the rule that if you get one email, there's like, I forgot what the multiplier is, but there's maybe 10 people that won't email you, but they'll feel that way. So there are probably more than that small number that emailed you, but you have to try and figure out, is it worth it to keep going? And um, so what I've started looking at is um, I love long pre-orders. And so I've started doing long pre-orders. And so I look at pre-order numbers for the books. Like I'll go back and look, okay, book one had this many, book two had this many. And if the numbers are going up, then I go, okay, there is increased demand for this. And if they're kind of tapering off, then I go, okay, that's a sign that this series is kind of, doesn't have the momentum that it used to. And then um, another thing I, I noticed the other day, I've been doing some Goodreads giveaways for print copies, and I've done these for years. And so if you go in Goodreads, they have, you can go look at all your giveaways and you can see the total number of entries for each giveaway. And so that I was like, oh, you can use this to figure out if people are interested. Cause like if I had, I had a seven book series that it, the seven book seven, I gave it away and it had, you know, maybe a thousand entries. But then like my newer series, if I go look at book three or four and it's got two or 3000, I'm like, okay, so they're obviously more interest in, in this series. So that just helped me. And then, um, I don't know, I kind of also go with my gut. I kind of have a feeling there's certain series that seem to sell or that you don't seem to have to work quite as hard to get them going, you know, to get the momentum going. And so if I feel like a series is doing well without me, just like pushing a boulder uphill, then that's, you know, I go, okay, then all those things combined you know, then that's what I'll, I'll kind of use to figure out which one I should write or which one I should put on the back burner. Yeah. It's tough to do a giveaway when you're doing the kind of series where they have to have read all the earlier yes. books in the series, but I've definitely used pre-orders, uh, especially if you're doing it for about the same length of time, like mm -hmm. you can't judge it necessarily. If this pre-order was two weeks and that one was two months. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but for people who don't have a big readership yet and aren't uh, selling a lot of books, how how long should they give a series before maybe giving it up and trying some? Um, for me personally, I I usually think three books is a good marker. I mean, like if you write book one and then you bring out book two and the sales are much, much lower, then that might be a sign as well. But um Sometimes a lot of readers will wait to see if you're going to bring out the other books because they don't want to try a series because they've been burned. You know, they've read book one and then there's never a book two. So some readers kind of hold off until a series is, has at least three books or is, you know, complete if you've said it's a five book series or whatever. Um, yeah, it can be tough. And so for me, but that is a big time investment. I mean, for me, it takes me a while to write a book. And so like, planning three books, that's pretty much like a year, year and a half of my writing, you know, <laughs> mental <laughs> work. So that can be a big investment. But yeah, I would give it at least two or three books and see because, you know, sometimes things change and, you know, genres 
that weren't selling well get hot and popular and then things take off. And so sometimes you just don't know. You're going to have to give it a little time. We talk often about read through in a long, you know, in a long series and how it means you can spend more money on marketing book one. If you know, you can potentially make X amount. Uh, is this something that you track and what would you consider a decent read through rate for a series? Okay. I'm not good at like spreadsheets and stuff. That's not my strong suit, but I do watch, um, and because of the type of books I write, you know, they're more episodic. So I know that most people are going to try and go in with book one. So if I have a sale on book one, I'll look to see, you know, what the, the read through is from book one to two. And then, you know, from then on. And I've noticed that if a book is, um, if it's, if it's free, the read through is usually much lower because, you know, a lot of people will pick it up that probably really don't have any intention to reading of reading it, but they'll just get it just in case, you know, so that read through may be lower. And if you can get, you know, 20 to 30% read through, you know, or I think that's pretty good for a free book. But then after, but then, you know, you're from book two to three, you want that to be much higher. Um, so I tend to look at, you know, those things that we I was talking about like the Goodreads giveaways. And I even look at um, like signups for my reading team to see if people are interested in the later books in the series to find out if they are interested. And um, just watching the sales and seeing, you know, what the results are. That's been the best way for me to kind of figure out how things are going. Um, Yeah. And I tend to kind of just I, I've also had some books in with um, Hoopla. Um, and so they used to send me um, like the the downloads basically. So, and that was very interesting because it would, because, you know, there's no real sales through Hoopla. It's just library borrows. And so I could really look at that and go, oh, this book has, you know, like once they get into the series, read through is like 80 to 90%. So that's a good one to keep going with. So if you can get, you know, library reading data, that's great. That's harder to find, I think. All right. Now, um, I've experimented a lot with spinoffs and side stories in my, in my series, particularly my, my epic fantasy. And uh, how would you suggest things like that be handled? Because it seems particularly challenging with prequels or, or like parallel threads, because I can't tell you how often I get emails asking for the definitive <laughs> reading order. So like, what, what are your policies on that? <laughs> well, I think you're much more prolific in the side stories and spinoffs and prequels than I am. But um, yeah, I think that um, those are would be great things like for, um, you know, giveaways like reader magnets and things to keep readers involved in your stories. And what you could do is a... Um, like a reader's guide, which I thought I need to do that um, because I did do a crossover. I was ending a series. And so I did a crossover between the last book of that series and the historical, like it was a dual timeline thing. And so now I'm kind of in that situation where you can only link it through one book on your KDP dash. So I know there are people that would probably be interested in this story, but they don't know that the two series are linked, you know? So I think what I what I should do, it's on my to-do list, but I haven't done it yet, is just to create a reading order and say, you know, this is a good starting point for the cozies. This is a good starting point for the historical. If you're interested in these two, then this is where the series crosses and you probably want to read book six before book five in this other series. So that would be one way to handle it. And, you know, 
I wish that there was some way we could do it on the retailer. And I've put in, you know, the uh, suggested reading order on the book description, but I don't know how many people actually scroll down and read all that. So, but yeah, I think that like the side stories and the spinoffs, that can be really good for like pulling people into your world that maybe they, it gives them some extra content that, um, you know, if you just write novels, then like my readers have to wait longer for more content because it takes me longer. Um, and readers do actually that suggested reading order. I've got that on most of my series and I get people saying, thank you for putting that there (laughs) because they're like, I don't know what to read yeah, and what order to read it in. Um, so what have been your most successful strategies for marketing a series? And conversely, what are things that haven't worked out so well? Okay. Well, um, like putting, uh, like, you mean like, uh, marketing things like sales and things like that or craft stuff within the series? Um, well, whatever gets more money. So it could be craft <laughs> stuff. It could be, you know, marketing, straight up marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, as far as keeping readers interested in a series, those read through hooks have been huge for me. And I didn't, and I think part of it was because I wrote those series, that first three books in that historical series really close together. I tried batch writing and I'd never done that before. And so the books, like their timeline, you know, the book time is very close together. And so, there was just something about writing them really closely together that I was able to put little hints about what's coming next. And that really got readers into it. And there, they were, um, I released them 90 days apart. So people knew when they finished book one, book two was on pre-order. And so that's been really good for me is now that we have longer pre-orders, I've been trying like six months. I would love to get a book up for like a nine month or a year long pre-order, but I just haven't done that. Haven't accomplished that timeline yet, but that's really been good for me. And, um, the romantic subplot thing that just pulls readers in the will they or won't they, you know, I just think that's just a huge compelling storyline, at least for my readers. I get emails occasionally about the plot or the history or anything, but then most of the emails are about, you know, when will Olive and Jasper get together? And I'm like, well, not for a while. So hang on. But, um, that, and then like, um, for sales and stuff, I think for me, putting book one on sale or doing a book one perma-free is, you know, just the easiest thing to do to get people into the series. So that works really well for me. And, um, just the, and then the, I like perm freeze because if they're free, it's so easy to do the promo on them. Whereas the other ones, you have to do the price drop and go in and change the price everywhere, especially like I'm wide. So that's like a lot of, uh, admin work. So perm freeze are great because then you can just go, Oh, let's do, let's do some ads. What are some of your favorite marketing things that are working for you right now for, um, whether you're launching a new series or like launching book 10 and you've already advertised book one a bunch of times. So, um, what have you done to kind of keep this going? Yeah. Um, well, I think that, um, like if you're, I think it depends on if you're in KU or if you're wide. So like if you're in KU, then, um, Like what you could do is if you have a book one, you could put book one wide and then you could put everything else in KU. I've seen that done. I've never tried that myself, but that's something you could try. And then, um, I think like the, like David Gogren has the KU countdown, uh, article that describes how you can do countdown deals to get your read through going. And I think that's really good. Um, 
for me, um, I like to hit book one with a sale or, you know, or drop it to free if it's not already permit free. And then, um, I've also focused a lot on library and bookstore sales through Ingram. And that's worked really well for me because it's like the audiobooks were a new genre or new group of readers for me. I think that's given me a whole different segment of the market to appeal to. And traditional mysteries are more, um, those readers like print a lot. So that's really been um, something that has been, that's increased my readership. It's like giving me new readers. So yeah, that doing, you know, book one and then bundling, bundling is always great. You know, I like to do like a three book bundle and, you know, put that on sale to get people into the series. Are you doing anything with your newsletter, like giving away free bonuses or free books or anything yeah. like that? Yeah, I have a short story that I've written that's kind of a little prequel so that like when they get to the end of book one, if they want, you know, to find out like how the whole thing got started, it's just like a little throwaway mention in the book one of the historical. I was like, if you want to find out what happened with this, you know, sign up for my newsletter. And that seemed to go well. And um, and then before I had that, I just, you know, gave away a free book for, you know, the newsletter sign up. And that's, you know, that's always good. So, and then I try and kind of move them through my newsletter autoresponders, like, hey, this is the kind of book I write. And, you know, I write this series. And if you like this series, you'll probably like this one. Kind of give them a little taste of each book, each series. And then um, next year, what I want to try and start doing is doing um, box sets. And I, you know, just market them to my newsletter. But Book Funnel is also going to start doing audiobooks. So I think audiobook box set sales to my newsletter might be a really good thing because I haven't done uh, audiobook box sets for um, any of my books. So I was like, if I could just market that to my newsletter, then that might be a really good thing. Just keep that. They can get those exclusively from me. Or I might put them on a vendor for like a limited time period and say, you can get the box set, you know, for three months here and then pull it down and then they can get it from and see if that works. I haven't done any audiobook box sets on my own yet, but I, the ones I've done with my publisher have been great. You know, they get like 30 hours of content, so it's like a big score and it seems to do really well. Yeah. Um, last question for me is what kind of ads are you doing uh, as a cozy mystery author? Uh, you mentioned that you do some ads there. Yeah, I do. I, I've got some Amazon ads running. I've never really done Facebook ads well. So I've experimented more with, um, like the Amazon ads and um, BookBub ads, but really what works well for me, and I think part of it is the time investment. I don't enjoy fiddling with ads and I don't enjoy doing the um, data collection <laughs> that comes with the ads. So a lot of times I'll just do the perma-free book one and then I'll just run ads to it at the smaller sites. If I can get a BookBub, that's great. But then I've started doing like a rotation of, you know, let's submit it to Fussy Librarian here. And then next month, let's do ebook soda, you know, and just kind of so that there's constant, um, it's in front of readers constantly. So, I mean, I like those and those seem to work. And if you don't hit them too often, then they can be pretty effective to getting new people in. So I've done that. And... Um, I don't do many newsletter swaps or anything like that, but mostly just, I always have plans to do more Facebook ads, but I just never really 
don't have that great desire <laughs> to, to dip into that too deeply. I can certainly uh, empathize, <laughs> particularly <laughs> since, you know, I, I am a, a pundit on a, on a, on a marketing show. I'm just like, <laughs> man, I really ought to be more hands-on with this stuff. But I just like writing better. Yeah. Um, all right. So you were talking a bit about, about bundles and such. And, uh, let's say you've got an established series or maybe even a completed series. Uh, obviously the bundles and collected editions are a way to get a little bit extra use out of a series and get more accessible to new readers. Uh, how would you recommend that people structure bundles? Like is full series bundle versus broken up into trilogies? Should every book yeah. even be included in a bundle over time? Yeah, I think it just depends on what you want to do and you can pull them in and out of your bundles, you know, however, whatever's working for you. I think if you're in KU, a, maybe a complete box set bundle might be the way to go because then you would be getting hopefully all those page reads. Uh, for me being wide, I like to do a three book bundle, especially like I don't put them in a bundle until I have more books. So like I would wait until I have probably four, five, and six before I bundled up one, two, three. So I do a bundle of the first three and then put that on sale and then hopefully get read through to the rest of the books. Um, and I, but some of the, like on Kobo and, um, I, uh, yeah, iTunes, you can do the big box set bundle and you can put all your books in there and you're not limited to nine ninety nine. So that can be really good. I have some box sets that are only on, you know, the non Amazon platforms because you can get the higher retail rate. So, yeah, I think that, um, you can do that. And then another thing you can do with box sets is you can bundle up all your book ones. If you know, you have a bunch of different series, that's something that is on my list that I think would be cool is like to do a book one box set bundle and, you know, hopefully get people in. And especially if you write very different series, then, you know, that could give them a taste of all of your, all of your work. And then, um, you could do a box set, like a themed, you know, you could say, well, so one year what I did was I took, um, since I don't have many, uh, full, full series sets, I put, uh, one of my series, like I think it was books one to six at that time into a single, uh, bundle and then marketed that to my newsletter list. And I was like, I don't know if people will buy this or not. They probably already have it, but I was surprised at the number of people who actually downloaded it and they were interested in it for the convenience of having all the books together. And so I think that could work really well. Like if you have a bunch of side stories or short stories that go with the bundle that aren't, or that go with the series that aren't out, you could bundle them all together and say, here, get the complete set, you know, and maybe do that like for a limited time, like a Black Friday deal or, you know, Christmas bundle or something like that. So yeah, I think there's, there's a lot you can do with box sets. Part of the problem is authors get overwhelmed. You know, there's tons to do, but they get overwhelmed and, you know. Yeah. And you've got to figure out, I mean, I feel like box sets are pretty easy because you've already got all the content. It's just getting the new cover and getting it together and putting it up for sale, which I mean, sometimes that can be more than we can handle at times. But yeah. yeah, a lot of my clients, I mean, I've got kids and I homeschool and I'm, I'm overwhelmed, but a lot of people are just overwhelmed by any prospect of admin and marketing, you know, mm -hmm. they like, they just want to write. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So, uh, what's the name of your book again? And, um, where can people find it? 
Okay, it's called How to Write a Series, and it's wide, so it's everywhere. And um, I actually just recorded the audiobook for it, so hopefully that will be out soon. And um, we'll see how that goes. That'll be my first narration. So awesome. hopefully it turns out good. You did it yourself then? I did, yeah. I had somebody else uh, engineer, do all the engineering. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. And the first day, I was like, this is great. Why don't I do more of my books? And by day two, I was like, I don't pay my narrator nearly enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, do you have any other books for authors available? Is this your first one? I have a, a book called um, How to Outline a Cozy Mystery because that was something that uh, there seemed to be a lot of people writing cozy mysteries and they had a lot of questions. And so that one is just basically a workbook. And there's also a course to go with that if they want more in-depth um you know, and that's all on my website. So justsarahreset.com. And, and that's called How to Outline a Cozy Mystery, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And did you want to tell anybody like titles of your of your fiction series, anything like that? Oh, sure. Um, the historical is called the High Society Lady Detective Series. So that all my keywords in there. <laughs> and then um, nice. I've got a series about... Um, it's the, co- the most popular cozy contemporary series is about a, a location scout who does um, Jane Austen adaptations. So she has to travel around England and look for locations to shoot Jane Austen adaptations. And that's called Murder on Location. That sounds fun. I love, 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 love cozy mystery. So (laughs) I mean, it just lets me indulge all my, I I intentionally pick subjects that I'm like, yeah, I want to find out what it's like to be a location scout. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, and then also uh, for listeners who aren't aware, what is your podcast? Um, You do it with Jamie Albright. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's called Wish I'd Known and, or Wish I'd Known Then. I always leave off with then. So Jamie will laugh at me (laughs) for that, but it's called Wish I'd Known Then. And it's just, we talk to authors and we just ask them, you know, what they've learned and what they wish they knew when they started out and um, kind of like lessons learned. And, um, you know, it's just authors that are doing well and what we can pick information from their brains to help us out. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So your website, you already said it, but I was talking over you. So where can people find you? <laughs> All right, it's just Sarah Rosette, just S-A-R-A and then Rosette, R-O-S-E-T-T dot com. E-T-T. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for some, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Yeah. Um, lots of great information about series and marketing. And um, again, gave me lots of opportunity or <laughs> ideas. Now I'm like, okay, if I don't put him down for a nap. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. And, um, thanks to everyone for listening and to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. Um, listeners, you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question, question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Definitely come join our Facebook group and the correct answer to, um, who has the best Joe or who has the best Joe beard? Who has the best beard is not meow, 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 which is an answer we had recently. That's <laughs> some really random answers. But anyway, so the correct answer is Joe. <laughs> so that's pretty much it for us uh, this week. Uh, thank you again, everybody. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye. So long, everybody. <laughs>